one thing that the Buddha and our teachers like Lumpur Cha emphasized over and over again in the practice is learning how to teach ourselves the Dhamma learning to look at our experience more closely and understand it and thereby free ourselves from suffering through that understanding learning to do this for ourselves when we come into the robes to the monastic life most of us bring with us the habit of always sending our minds out to look at other people look at the world and finding out about the world on an external level As we practice Dhamma, we're learning to turn that habit around, to look inwardly, Ajahn Chah gave the uh, advice, maybe we learn to look at ourselves, observe ourselves, 90% of the time, other people maybe just 10% of the time. So we keep, still keep an eye on the world and other people and what's going on around us, but the focus of our practice has to be learning inwardly and training the mind to look at itself and see where suffering arises and how to free ourselves from that suffering. So we're very good at looking outwards and comparing and thinking about the world and other people. <clears throat> but we have to try harder to learn and look at ourselves. And even see that part of the problem is this looking outwards with a sense of self, the conceit of I am which is the very root of our suffering identification with the five candors as me and mine myself we see the Buddhist path is helping us to understand this delusion the delusion of I am all the way from beginning to end right up to the very end of the practice say the last defilements or fetters that the anagami abandons uh, Adimana and Utacha and Awicha the subtle conceit of I am which is still remaining uh, this subtle restlessness of mind because the practice is still not finished and the ignorance underlying it so from beginning to end we're dealing with the conceit of I am and so we have to turn our attention around to look at this and look at this way the mind identifies and builds up sense of self in its experience and therefore suffers. We attach to this body and mind as me, as mine, and when it brings dukkha then we attach to that as my dukkha, so we suffer. Whereas say for the enlightened one there's just 
the canvas there's just dukkha arising, passing away, but there's no grasping at it as a self, as me or as I am this. It's just dukkha. Dukkha is known and realized for what it is, but it's not grasped at. So we're learning this skill, turning our attention inwards more to look at ourselves, train ourselves to think correctly, think wisely in our daily lives, to develop the mindfulness to give us the ability to just hold our attention and look at our experience without getting lost in all the mental proliferation that comes from this sense of self and I am. We're training ourselves to investigate truth on every level. And it's all important to see that the path of practice on every level from beginning to end is aiming at and is designed to support the abandoning of kilesa or asawa, the cause of our suffering. The asawa, what we call the outflows, the outflows of the mind that from the coarse to the very refined on every level of existence, every formation of mental, physical, then the mind tends to base its uh, very existence and the sense of self on everything, every phenomena to do with this body, this mind, from the coarse to the refined, the asawas, the, the outflows, the views, the underlying views, that support the sense of self and the delusion of self, the uh, sensuality, gamasawa, the attachment to existence and desire for existence itself, bawasawa, and then the ignorance of truth and the Four Noble Truths that underlies it all, awijasawa. Every level of our practice is helping to address Asawa and Kilesa in the cause of our suffering, helping to see, helping to deal with them. It's important to see that because sometimes you might have this sense that, well, when I get advanced in my practice, I will deal with the Kilesa, the Asawa. When I've developed Samadhi, when I've developed insight, then I will uproot. Kilesa, Rut Asawa. And often it just leads on to all kinds of delusion in the mind living in the future and living in just thinking and conceptualizing about the practice and what it might be in the future. Not looking at what's happening right now. And of course the Aswa, the Kilesa, are arising right now in the practice every day in our lives and on, on every level. At the beginning of our practice is the basic learning to uh, follow the basic monastic form, the training rules and practices, using them as a skillful means to deal with Kilesa, to deal with the, the roots of our suffering. So we take on the Vinaya, the Patimoka, and the Vinaya, the practice of sense restraint, Indriya Sangwara, uh, the practice of right livelihood for bhikkhus, the way we gain and use our requisites and so on. These are already practices that are addressing, addressing and helping us to deal with Asuakilesa from the very beginning. It's not necessary something we're going to do at some point in the future. 
one way the Buddha talked about this, talked about the practice of <clears throat> sila as requiring um, kanti, practice of patience, endurance, as a means to abandon asava, using patience with the precepts and training rules as a way to abandon asava. Sometimes he talked about it as kanti barami or what we call adiwasana kanti. The real well-established, well-developed quality of patient endurance applied to the practice of the basic monastic training rules. It's that ability to learn to both use wisdom and understanding as to why we keep the rules and follow them, the rules and practices, and then to stick to it, have the faith, the energy, the effort to stick to the practices. That's obviously a whole wide range of practices from the very very minor rules to more major rules and to just practices that support uh, meditation, say. Just coming to a meeting uh, requires patience and endurance. Sometimes we don't want to come. We have preferences, we have other things come up in our mind. Something coming to a meeting might be where we develop patience and endurance. The Buddha talked about the quality of patience and endurance for abandoning the asava, the kilesa, the sila. You're dealing with three main things, three main issues. And the first is just discomfort that we de- have to face day to day, particularly as forest monks. We live out in the forest. We're exposed to the weather, the environment, the elements. Uh, and then our lifestyle, we live a long way from the city, so we don't always have convenience, uh, or we don't always have an abundance of requisites or the best of everything. We don't always have the best food or the best accommodation and so on. This gives rise to a certain amount of discomfort, inconvenience. There's heat and cold to deal with. Um, There's flies, mosquitoes, wind burning, creeping things, and so on, that we have to deal with. This requires patience, endurance, and just that sort of discomfort level that might lead us to break precepts or go around the Vinaya because of our seeking something more comfortable, more convenient. You know, that requires some patient endurance sometimes in certain situations, certain contexts. We have to have that. But the Buddha said this is a way of abandoning asava right there and then. So it might be something very simple like cold weather, having to put up with a feeling of cold on the body at different times of the day. That might give rise to uh, displeasure and lead to um, one wanting to break the precepts in some way or maybe even just give up the whole training or a desire to can't live in the cold or something like that or get angry with it upset with it and then um, lead on to other breaches of sila based on that displeasure or anger or maybe one might just go and uh, bother the lay people for extra things to keep one warm in the not in an appropriate way say but one doesn't do that one practices patience endurance at that time with say feelings of cold feelings of heat 
by attending the Buddha said by attending to the the precepts and the sila, the right practice, the practice of sense restraint, practice of patimoka, practice of sila in the way we attain requisites and so on, then one is attending to that which is correct and appropriate. And then the asava, the, the defilement that might lead to one to break sila in one way or other, doesn't arise. One isn't encouraging it. One is encouraging patience and through that develops equanimity. So the mind lets go of its desire that might lead to break the precept. And so one is actually abandoning asavas just through keeping a certain precept or training rule. It obviously requires effort. So Adiwasana kanti is kanti that is practiced. It's wasana, it's something that becomes part of one's karmic accumulations, one's character, one's personality. Not just a fleeting kind of mood or some practice one takes on, I'll be patient today, but not tomorrow. It's, it becomes, it's something we develop in an ongoing way until it becomes very much a part of our practice to be patient with conditions. In Thailand they call it, sometimes they say, the, the word is ot ton, ot means sometimes to go without, so it means sometimes going out without what you want or what you desire. Ton means to endure, to bear with, to be with. Obviously when things are difficult, one bears with, bees with something that is difficult, difficult condition. Sometimes they call it nam or namton. It means the water or the the juice of uh, going without and being with what is difficult. And they have the, love to have these similes. So it's like the, the water or the juice as in if you're cooking a dish of food, if there's the, the juice is there, then it's an attractive, pleasant dish to eat. If it's all dried up, then it becomes unpleasant. It's that kind of uh, thing. Patience is the juice that makes something workable, in this sense, the uh, giving up of kilesa, or abandoning of kilesa, or asawa. Or another way you could look at it is the lubrication of the practice. So what lubricates our practice of the training rules. Because when you've got patience, then you're willing to work with the, the difficulties that come up, the conditions, the unpleasant conditions sometimes. So it's like you have lubrication, so it's like a machine that's well-oiled that will function well. When you lose your lubrication and you lose your patience, well, then it's difficult to practice, difficult to keep the rules, difficult to follow the monastic training. Other than the discomforts of, sort of heat and cold and uh, impingement from environment and so on, the second thing the Buddha said that Adiwasana Kanti can help us to face up to is the displeasure or feeling of hurt that comes from the words of others. A speech that is critical or cruel or unkind from other people that we would tend to react to with anger, uh, get anger, maybe break our precepts, get caught into conflict and so on. Uh, but we use patience and endurance at those times, especially in communities, especially when we've got people both living together and then coming into the community all the time. So people come every day, visitors and so on. Sometimes people lose their mindfulness and say things which were, are harsh, which might hurt our feelings. But we use patience and endurance to deal with that rather than giving in to the anger that would lead us to break our precepts. The last area that we develop, Adiwasana and Kanti, 
patient endurances with Vaitana, Dukkha Vaitana, from illness, from hunger, from injury and so on. And from time to time, our body, because of our karmic accumulations, we, it throws up karma, sometimes very strong. We have illness or pain or injury, accidents. Sometimes it's more subtle. You know, even just hunger is a very common thing that occurs when we use up all our energy. Maybe in the evening we feel hungry, so we have the pangs, the pains of hunger. And we have various diseases and illness which bring dukkha weight in us. The way the Buddha said to practice with this in the first instance in order not to give rise to kilesa or aswa, in, in order not to be supporting the arising of the aswa or the deepening of the aswa, is patience, endurance, You're with physical pain and discomfort, with hunger, with these kind of difficulties, unpleasant feelings, unwanted feelings. So you can see right in the beginning, from day one of our practice already, we're addressing the Kilesa, the Asawa. By employing patience and endurance, we can make a, um, a successful practice out of just keeping the training rules of a monk in a monastery, keeping our precepts, keeping the training rules. We're already eroding away the kilesa, the asawa. So it's not something we, we are going to do at some point in the future when the mind develops samadhi and develops insight. It's something we're practicing every day from word, the word go. It's important to see this, to see that you know, the causes for kilesa, asawa to arise are there all the time. So we have to start addressing them all the, on a regular basis. And patience and endurance is one quality we can direct to do that. You're learning to be patient with difficulties, discomfort, pain and so on. And not to grasp at it and take it personally. You use patience and the reason we gain equanimity from patience is because one is letting go of the various moods and the kilesas that the negative moods and the kilesas that arise when we face with we are faced with difficulty and pain, discomfort, obstacles and trouble and so on. Whether it's from outside from other people or the environment or just from our own body and our own karmic and we karma. We're learning not to identify with all this as a self. We're learning to develop more of a patient attitude and not give in to the moods of displeasure that might arise as, as we experience dukkha waitana. Then our old habit is always to go to vipawa dhanha or, or gama dhanha, either seek sensuality, sensual distraction, try and get away from Dukkha Vaitana or else go to aversion because of the Dukkha Vaitana we go to irritation, aversion and this is the coming together of the, the causes conditions for Kilesa to arise also a Kilesa arises so Dukkha Vaitana wrong attention to the Dukkha Vaitana no patience no mindfulness you know, we give wrong attention to that and the perception of displeasure and then the that with that perception then the thinking, the proliferation comes. And with that this sense of self, so it's a sense of I am, I am ill, I am in pain, I am facing discomfort, inconvenience or whatever. And it becomes something the mind grasps onto at that point. Just keeping the precepts and the basic practices then, practicing sense restraints and mindfulness of our sense contact, 
mindfulness of our precepts already is helping to deal with that situation and it supports the practice of mindfulness, deepening of mindfulness or the continuity of mindfulness that will help to the mind to settle down and calm down in samadhi as well. You might say the equanimity of samadhi is deeper than the equanimity that comes through the practice of sila, training rules. It's based on learning to So developing out a sense restraint, Indriya Sangra, where we practice mindfulness of sense contacts, the eye, see forms, keeping mindfulness, keeping restrained at that point, ears, hear sounds and so on. A result of that, using developing a meditation object, like the breathing for instance, you're learning to quieten the inner chatter of the mind based on sense contact and not just sense contact in the present moment but also the sense contact from the past that we regurgitate bring up in the mind think about go over and even projections about the sense contact in the future what we might experience in the future expectations fears and worries about the pleasure and pain we might experience in the future. But all of this, developing equanimity and mindfulness, bringing the mind back to one-pointedness of one one object, say the breath, gives us the ability to drop the mind's normal obsession with the senses. This is our practice of developing samadhi bhavana, we call it one-pointing the mind, it's bringing the mind to one point, the in and out breath, that feeling, that sensation. And developing equanimity towards the other senses, sense doors and sense objects. When we do that successfully, then the mind calms down and gets a rest. It's not identifying so much with all that sense information, the sense impressions that we normally grasp at and they stir up all that liking and disliking. And the mind settles down and drops that. So at first that can be a little bit unnerving or unpleasant because we're dropping what we're used to identifying with, what we're familiar with. So often people have a reaction when the mind quietens down when they first experience some samadhi or one-pointedness. What they used to identify with isn't there anymore temporarily, it's gone. So they get a bit worried or nervous. Maybe can't sustain that state of one-pointedness because they're worried or nervous or even afraid. That's why faith and confidence in the teacher and the teaching and the path of practice is so vital at that point. And that kind of faith, you know, at that point where you're dropping your normal obsession and proliferation based on all the sense contact and sense distraction we have, when you drop that, faith can arise and just based on what you've practiced so far, your faith that the precepts and the training rules that you keep, the lifestyle you're following hasn't brought you to any kind of harm or disaster. You know, it brings you many good things, brings you already perhaps some joy, some feeling of relaxation and happiness. So based on what you've practiced so far, your experience so far in the practice, you can have some confidence that what you're doing is correct and is right. So at that point where the mind is ready to drop sense its attachment to the senses. You can have the confidence that it's okay to do that. You can drop its normal obsession thinking about everything everything all over the world, all over our senses. We can drop that. We're not gonna die, we're not gonna suffer because of it. So we can actually allow the mind to let go of the body and the senses at that point. And we 
have to have some faith, some confidence in the practice to do that. This is why when we talk about indriya or pala, the faculties, the powers, you know, sata, faith, confidence is there at the beginning. One has to have some confidence in the practice at that point when one is meditating, letting go of everything else. And true faith you know, is based partly on external things from the teacher and the teachings that we've heard and experienced externally, but it's also based on internally what we've experienced, this ability to train ourselves internally. You know, the mind has been thinking through about the practice and realized it is the right thing to do, it's the right direction to follow. So it has less and less doubts about it. So at that point when the mind's ready to drop, its obsession with sense objects, you know, it's got the confidence, the willingness to do that. It's willing to set aside thoughts about the body, about pain, discomfort, about health, about food, about other people, about the future, the past. You know, these normal sense of self that we have coming up, the way it's fed by our sense contact. The mind is willing to drop that. Confidence in the practice and in the path of practice helps at this point. We're able to bring the mind to the present, what we say, the present moment, and dropping the, all the proliferation about the future. Where I'm going to do go, what I'm going to do in the future. Am I going to be good in the future? Am I going to be bad in the future? Right or wrong in the future? Here or there in the future? All the concern about the past what I've done before, the good I did, the bad I did, the good things I experienced, the bad things I experienced. I was good in the past, I was a bad person in the past, I, I'm, I will be a good person in the future, I'll be a bad person in the future, I'm a good person now, I'm a bad person now, and so on. All of this just drops it. And having the, the satire, the confidence helps at that point, just to allow the mind to become one-pointed on an object, say the breath. To experience a little bit of peace, you know, emptiness from the chatter of self. The identification with the candors, the pleasure and the pain, and so on. Actually drop it. Again, you can see how the patience and endurance supports that. Maybe being more patient in the practice of meditation, sitting a bit longer and putting more effort in for a bit longer, walking a bit longer. Sometimes that's enough to help the mind set aside its other concerns, just drop into a state of peace and one-pointedness. So the patient endurance helps again. The faith helps the effort, the wearier helps. Investigating Dhamma helps. And teaching your mind in the right way. Thinking it through, using the Dhamma you've learned to think through your experience and drop all this other stuff that the mind normally is confused by and cluttered with. And the more peace, the more stability it experiences, then this is what is the fertile ground for contemplation and insight. Maybe even has to be insight into the very state of peace itself. The sense of I am might re-emerge. I am peaceful. I have attained samadhi. And the conceit can come up at any time in different ways, the sense of self. Before it was just maybe identifying or judging oneself as keeping the precepts and following the rules and the vinaya or not, being a good monk or not a good monk or whatever. Now it's maybe more subtle than that. I have attained samadhi. Or if we haven't, I have not attained samadhi. But if we have attained samadhi, or well maybe it's the the very equanimity of a one-pointed mind becomes a sense of self based on that that we have to contemplate. Maybe it's this sense of the mind that knows. We call it the one who knows. Mm. Puru in Thai. 
maybe the sense of I know, at last I know, before I didn't know the mind wasn't peaceful, now the mind's peaceful, now I know. And we grasp at the sense of I in I know. I am peaceful. Maybe the mind goes out again at that point, compares to others. So I am more peaceful than them, or I am less peaceful than them. I know more than them, I know less than them, and so on. Maybe he wants to proclaim things to the world. I know this, I know that, and so on. Or maybe becomes very protective. I am peaceful and I don't want anything to take my peace away. So we become very protective and see other people as enemies of our peace, or so on. There's many different things that can happen. But we're looking a bit deeper here at the very sense of I am, in this case, the identification with the, this one-pointed awareness and even the very equanimity that arises from it. And the Buddha said even this is not the end of the path. This is still... It's in a necessary part of the path, but it's not the end of the path. It's not yet the unconditioned, say. The subtle sense of I am can still come out of this. And we'll notice that, say, if you do experience some peace of mind, the time to really be very mindful and really be very sharp, contemplate, is as you come out of that state of peace, the mind withdraws, as it were, and this sense of self comes up, maybe attaching to the sense of peace or just whatever comes up at that point. Liking, disliking, and that's where we have to start contemplating, seeing the dukkha of it again, the dukkha of all that mental proliferation starting, even the most subtle mental proliferation, subtle sense of self, see the dukkha of it, all the movements of the mind, all the grasping again, maybe the, as the sense of peace disappears, the worry and the clinging on to it, trying to hold on to it, maybe disappointment, maybe a sense of pride or a sense of being better than others and so on. All of this can arise so we keep developing, maintaining mindfulness and contemplating these different moods, mental states that come up after the peaceful meditation. And this is developing the equanimity of insight and seeing that the nature of the mind as it proliferates is dukkha. It's not peaceful, it's not anything substantial. Or turning the attention back to the body with this peaceful state of mind and start to analyze this body that we take as the basis for this sense of self, this I am, this me, this mind, this is me, this is mine. You know, this body that wants so much, as long as we've got a body then we want pleasure that, that can come with the body. And we want to get rid of pain that comes with the body. We use that peaceful mind to see the basis for this attachment in this body. You know, what is this body? It can go through the 32 parts of the body, the hair of the head. Is the hair of the head, is this me, is this mine? Is this a self? Hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin. What do they know? What are they? What do they know? What Are they something that really wants pleasure and hates pain? Really investigate this physical body in the basis of self in this body. Investigate the Vaitana that comes through this body, pleasure and pain. Every time there's pain, usually the mind goes to a perception of aversion and then starts proliferating about it. But go to the very root of it, the, the Vaitana itself, the pain, all this body, 
Yeah, the body itself is just inanimate, isn't it? It's just made up of flesh and bones, four elements. And there's nothing that you can say is a self in that. And yet we identify with that image of this being me, mine. I am in pain, I have a, a leg pain, a back pain, or a headache, or a stomach ache. The whole way of investigation is to look more deeply at that, <clears throat> what that attachment is based on. If if there's pain, what is it based on? Is, is the bone the pain? Is the skin the pain? Are the different organs the pain? The blood the pain? The urine the pain? And the body is just the body. The pain is the pain. It's a feeling that arises and passes away. And then there's the dukkha of that whole experience. The body is dukkha, the pain is dukkha, the vaitana is dukkha. The thoughts that come up are dukkha. But when we establish mindfulness on that, we can just see dukkha as dukkha and not grasp it as my dukkha. We just see it as dukkha. That's just one part of the world, one part of the story. There's some parts of life that have dukkha with them, other parts have sukha. Sukha waitana, dukkha waitana. When the mind is more stable, more peaceful, it can start investigating like this. Is dukkha really me? Am I this dukkha? Or is dukkha just dukkha? As you sit meditation and pain comes up, is this really me and mine? Before you move, before you get all flustered by it, just stop. Is this really me and mine? Or is it just what it is? Dukkha is dukkha, pain is pain, body is body, mind is mind. The mind which knows is the mind which knows. In the end, even all the thought formations which come up around pain are just thought formations. Any time one establishes mindfulness, one has the patience, the willingness to accept what is going on with one's body, one's mind. One has the mindfulness just to turn and look at it and then the wisdom to investigate it. We just see, well, it's just thoughts about pain or about my body or my condition or the way I am or the way I perceive myself. A perception is just a perception. A thought is just a thought. They're not so real after all. They're not something that we can really, we really need to grasp at and take as a self. We just know them for what they are and then drop them and let them go. And little by little we keep practicing like this, then we start to experience the other end of the practice, you know, the disenchantment, the dis- dispassion, the detachment and equanimity of based on having investigated these things and seeing well they're not really what I thought they were, they're not that important and they're actually tiresome you know, to keep thinking about dukkha and getting caught up into it it's tiresome isn't it and it doesn't get us out of the dukkha it just gets us more tangled up in it to keep attaching and identifying with this body is dukkha, the cause of dukkha. So it's very tiresome to keep doing that. We can be aware of the body, we understand it, but we don't have to identify with it. We just know it, a body is a body, feeling is feeling. All that mental proliferation, we see how futile it is, keeps going round in circles, doesn't really free us from any dukkha or help us or bring us any wisdom. Seeking distraction doesn't solve the problem either, or the imaginations, fantasy stories we tell ourselves just take us away from the real world into a fantasy world, 
they're not the solution either, they just feed more dukkha. The only way to really understand and, and let go of dukkha is bring the mind back to this underlying awareness where the sila samadhi panya is trained and working to bring the mind to this sense of peace based on mindfulness and wisdom present. Where it's just seeing the body and mind for what they are rather than grasping at them, identifying with them. And this is something approaching the unconditioned that the Buddha was saying is that the point of the practice, the goal of our practice, in the mind that just sees and knows but isn't defiled by experience, doesn't grasp and attach onto it and become any way, doesn't become happy or sad with experience, doesn't become upset, angry, depressed, disappointed, just knows things as they are and drops them and lets them go. Just knows body as body, feeling as feeling, mind as mind, phenomena as phenomena. Any phenomena associated with this body and mind is just that, it's just a phenomena. Rises, passes away, it's just not self, it's not stable, it's nothing permanent, nothing to be grasped at. The more we train ourselves to reflect on our experience this way, the more we can loosen our attachment to dukkha and the causes of dukkha. And that doesn't really change, whether it's just at the beginning of practice, working with just learning to use precepts and training rules to calm the mind down and develop this patience and mindfulness. Or right at the very end of the practice, you know, the one practicing finally to give up the final three fetters. It doesn't really change otherwise. It's just perhaps a refining of the technique but really the development of right view, it, it flows through the practice from beginning to end. Even we hear stories of Anagami still getting deluded by the sense of self somewhere or other grasping at something sometimes attachment to the the very radiance of the mind that is already purified to the level of anagami so let go of lust and aversion already and the let go of the body but there's still the radiance of the mind the pure mind and the conceit that I am this as Lumpur Tui was telling us about Lungta Mahabua teaching Lumpur Kamdi, even at that very refined level can still be a sense of self that hasn't been seen yet. Maybe one re relies on a teacher or a friend to point out what others see for themselves through further investigation. Or in the time of the Buddha, Venerable Anuruddha, one time met up with Sariputta, his good friend, and both good friends trust each other, so they talk quite openly about their practice. And Anuruddha was saying, I've developed the divine eye, I can see all the beings in all the universe and every realm of existence. He was the, the later to become the Arahant foremost in psychic ability, the divine eye, to see beings that are arising, passing away from different realms as they die and which realms they go to. So I can see all of them. I also have great energy, untiring energy in my practice. I also have great mindfulness that dominates my mind and dominates all aspects of the practice. My mindfulness is well established. But still, I cannot finally let go of the asava, despite these having developed these great qualities. So the Venerable Sariputta is talking to Anuruddha as an anagami, so he says, well, your conceit, the sense of conceit, sense of self is still rooted in this sense I know, all the uh, the psychic ability, the divine eye, 
what you can know on that level You're still attaching to that with a sense of I am I am this, I know this you have to see that as a conceit don't pay attention to it turn away from it that which you put attention on unwisely what gives rise to asawakilesa so in this case even great knowledge of psychic ability seeing beings in other realms is a source of kilesa so don't put attention on that turn away from that turn towards the deathless the unconditioned element the deathless element or your sense of being well developed with effort and energy and mindfulness these qualities although they're very necessary parts of the practice and it's it's necessary to develop them but your sense of uh, your awareness of them and just holding on to them is still subtle defilement call it defilement of utacha restlessness just the mind turning to the well developed energy and mindfulness it's still not the unconditioned there's still some conditioning process taking place there or the thought even with all this having developed all this I still haven't abandoned the asawa so this is this anxiety this is based in ignorance the final fetter that you haven't abandoned yet and the very concern about the fact that you haven't quite let go of clinging it's something that's the very ignorance the very last delusion that you're, you're clinging to you have to turn your mind away from all these three things the psychic ability the sense of having perfected mindfulness and energy and the anxiety or the worry about the, 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 having not completed the practice just turn your mind not to think of them just think of the deathless and so he went away and he did that and very quickly became an arahant whatever level we're practicing on whether day one or anagami practicing for arahant you're learning to turn the mind towards the dhamma that is appropriate at that time turn away from that which is feeding the kalesa the asawa turning away from the sense of self that identifies even with the results of the practice at every level we're training in this from the coarse through to the refined or the inferior to the superior whatever wherever we, f- we find ourselves we're training in the same thing so I'll leave you with these reflections tonight <laughs>